Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. Get it straight. This is the only podcast in human history, in recorded history, where two brothers talk about something they like. And that something is comic books. I'm one of the two brothers. My name is Will Hines. I'm Kevin Hines. The nice thing about being the first podcast with two brothers talking about something they like in recorded history is that mm-hmm. it automatically also means human history. Yeah. Because there were no recorded podcasts before then. So it just like the rest is you just get. It's like a yeah. freebie. Yeah. Um, you uh, only need to make it to recorded history in podcast history, and then you get it all. Then you've already cleared human history. Yeah, it's nice. It's a nice hurdle. Wait, that's no. a lot. That's a lot of time to get. Human for free. history is longer than recorded history. That's right. So right. all you need to do is get to the beginning of recorded history if it's a podcast record you're looking for, and you oh. automatically get. I see all of human history. That's nice. Pretty cool. Yeah, pretty great. Because nobody did any podcasts before recording. Well, hope not. It was a waste of time if they did. Yeah. If some like super ambitious paramecians did it. Um, Kevin, we have another mutants and <laughs> well, mailbag. Those wouldn't be humans. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it would be recorded history. We're not I'm competing saying. against paramecians. <laughs> Thank gosh. We would lose. Yeah. They've probably done some great podcasts. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, so we are doing a mutants and mailbags episode. We're back to doing mutants and mailbags. So now our new... Our new-ish, our newest schedule is to do bursts of these mailbag episodes mm-hmm. and then seasons so that our seasons are less interrupted. So this will be a mutants and mailbag episode and it will be followed by a few more mutants and mailbag episodes. I think at least three, uh, maybe hey. four, but I don't think more than that. So we'll probably get up to the Hickman era of X-Men by the time we're done with this burst. I mean, I don't think so. We'll see. We're on issues 174 to 176 and annual and th- seven today. And you think we're going to make it through a few reboots? <laughs> um, I, don't even, yeah. I don't even know how to, the numbers are impossible now to know. Uh, okay. Well, then um, well, we'll see where we get to. Uh, yeah. I mean, we'll still be, Claremont wrote these comics for a hundred years. So it's hard to get out from the shadow of. What are we doing today, Kev? Uh, we're covering issues 174, 175, 176 and annual seven. Yep. Um, what do you think of these issues, Will Hines, that you just read? Um, I thought they were okay. Uh, they were the art was good. We have two different artists. Uh, we have two main artists. We're going from the Paul Smith era to John Romita Jr. So they were pretty to look at. Um, this is this is now the X Men that I remember from when I was a kid reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was never a big X-Men fan or read a lot because I am I am averse to things that are popular. Um, or not really, but just for some reason, I avoided the X-Men like we've talked about before. I don't know why. But th- th- this is familiar to me. Um, I, I, th- I think it's okay. It's very, it's very just sort of scattershot. It's a lot of just like trying to keep track of what's going on for me. There's just so many different threads and subplots. Uh, and then the annual was super silly on purpose, and I don't even count it. What do you think? Yeah, I don't count the annual. The annual, I think, was bad. Um, but I liked these three issues. I mean, uh, definitely more. I mean, <laughs> to keep going more back than the to brood, this. Yeah, yeah. The fact that you liked the brood issues and that you think these are okay is is astonishing to me. These are <laughs> light years better than those 
than that long stretch of brood nonsense. Okay. Um, I don't, I can't remember how it probably isn't quite as good as the previous three issues. Those are really strong mm-hmm. uh, with uh, the introduction of rogue uh, or even the three before that with sort of like the new mutants and all that other stuff. But I think these are very good. And a lot of that is just carried by the art, but also that I think the stories are just simple. Then the yeah, the 12 main, parters. The main plots are pretty simple. Yes. I mean, the Madeline Pryor of it all doesn't make sense. Right. But that's it. Like, it isn't like that doesn't make sense. And also, I don't understand what happened between panels, which happened a lot in the brood. I'm like, oh, I don't, you're going into a crystal room and now everybody's saved. And now the giant whales have bonded with Storm. Like, none of that is happening. It's mm-hmm. nothing as, as crazy as that. Well, not me. on that level. It's still happening. On, in little corners of the story, you know, it'll be like, oh, I checked the medical file of so-and-so off panel. Yes, and, yeah. and that let me figure this. And I also programmed the danger room when nobody was looking in a way that it's never been used, but like, there's still, it's just not yes. being applied to the huge main story points in that way. Yeah. But it's all things that at least seem to exist in the world of X-Men. Basically, mm-hmm. if, you, if you keep away from space whales and giant, uh, um, hive-minded aliens it just works a little better for me personally yeah yeah um yeah that's what i I got i um i'd like to hear from our listeners the people who were like just absolutely nuts about the x-men at this time which was tons of people right this was like yeah the most popular comic in marvel at the time or basically anyone who was reading comics at this time except for you and me x-men was like their favorite yeah. or one of their favorite or something. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, w- I don't know. Let's hear what, what was it? What, what turned you on to the X-Men at this time? Like it is a little, it's a little, I, you know, we've, we've read now almost a hundred issues. <clears throat> wow. Of the Claremont run. And it's been really educational. And I'm glad that we did it, but it, you know, we're doing it sort of like in concentrated bursts. And then we take walk away from it and come back concentrated bursts out of context of the, what was going on in comics at the time. I mean, we're reading it now in 2022. That's right. And sometimes, sometimes I lose track of, I, I might be surprised if I didn't know to know that these were the ones that were taking, that were dominating uh, comic books. Um, so I'd like to hear from our, I mean, our, I think at our, this our, point, X-Men was the big seller, right? I mean, like, yeah. I think it was for from like the dark Phoenix saga on until I mean, definitely through the, I mean, it, it has a spinoff book now with the new mutants that we're not covering and we haven't even hit followed the mutants, which I've always considered like sort of, oh, now the X-Men can also do their own events. Yeah. And now we're going to add X-Factor and Excalibur and all these other things. And it's just like, yeah, X-Men comics is about to just like burst open in a way that like it could become it. It doesn't need the Marvel universe anymore. Um, yeah, it's really, it's really massive. And, um, I, I, re- I was at a wedding this weekend, Kevin, a friend, friend of mine got married. Oh, brag. And, yep. Bragging. I got invited to a wedding. I have friends and there was a, a, um, somebody there, an acquaintance of mine who knows that I did comics podcast. And it was like, Oh, what are you, what are you covering your comics podcast these days? And I was like, Oh, well, we're doing, you know, different things. But I said, we've been doing a lot of X-Men Claremont air. And he's like, Oh my gosh how many issues have you devoted to this? How many issues have you devoted to this? I'm like, oh, we do like five issues an episode. We like kind of running through it pretty quick. And, you know, th- this was a super fan. You know, he's like, oh, yeah. how could you only spend in a nice way? He was like, how could you only spend this amount of time on this? And I was like, yeah, you know, like my brother and I say, weirdly, we're not, we're not, this was never our number one thing. 
So I know that there's it's this era still has its huge, huge fans. Yeah. In our defense, though, we've covered more X-Men comics probably than anything except for maybe FF so far. Yep, that's probably right. Uh, and we'll pass FF soon. Yep, yep. And FF comics we covered, as we've said, in an insane way that maybe ruined our podcast forever. Yeah. I wonder how many listeners, if you're listening now and you stopped listening, uh, <laughs> uh, the people who stopped listening during the FF season, I'm curious, I'd love to have them come back and tell us. Uh, <laughs> when, tell how us far that. did you make it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, or if we hooked you with the FF season, you know, people yeah. were like, you're not the, the Spider-Man was too, too easy to follow. Okay. Um, should we get into it? Yeah, let's get into it. this is issue 174. This is the issue after Wolverine was dumped at the altar. Yes. Um, she said, you're too hairy. And uh, <laughs> he couldn't deny that. And yeah, she did. left him. She's like, this, you're purely physical. This is a purely physical decision, said Mariko. Yeah. Uh, no, there was some, something about we knew that Mastermind in his Jason Wingard form was involved because we saw him in the shadows. Yes. And um, I think did I think she mentioned something at the end of that issue that it was like about honor that he had betrayed yes, her right. or something. But mm-hmm. he had killed her father, which I think was covered in the Wolverine miniseries, which maybe we should go over. But um, yeah, I mean, both that uh, and also people are telling us we should cover uh, uh, a man. Oh, no, God loves man kills. Yes. Uh, which is also a good point. Uh, we should also they're, cover that. They're major chapters of X-Men mythology at, uh, from this time. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um, that basically related to events of that Wolverine miniseries that she is dumping him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we know that Mastermind is somehow involved. But yeah, Wolverine was left at the altar. And now we're in this issue. And Kevin, we're opening on the opposite of somebody being left at the altar. It's Scott Summers and Jean Grey clone Madeline Pryor falling in love. Or maybe yeah. having fallen in love. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's interesting because... Um, I think it's a pretty good date move to take your significant other into outer space, do a spaceship to let them see earth. Um, yeah. If, if it's not enough for you to be a leader or a former leader of a superhero team mm-hmm. and to be walking around without your shirt on, just sporting crazy superhero muscles, uh, show, show her an earth rise. Yeah. It's a good move. I bet, I bet it's a good way to get a third date. If you got a second date and that's what you do. Mm-hmm. But it's a great way to to continue seeing that person. I bet you Foggy Nelson would still blow it, <laughs> man. Even if he, you Foggy. know, he and Porkchop Peterson take, you know, take their dates on up to see an Earthrise, and Foggy just like trips on his tie, falls forward, hits hyperspace, boom! They're in the middle of a Kree Skrull war. I mean, it's still a pretty exciting date, I'd say. Yeah. Well, um, but yeah, she's rolling with it pretty well. You know, they're visiting his father and his fox. Humans, human fox girlfriend or whatever. Yeah. When did that happen? When did they, I lose track of the star jammers. They've been a couple always. Okay. I think that is just their, their status quo. I, I mean, she's in a way Scott's stepmom. I don't think they're married, but other than that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, where's the little mosquito robot doctor? You see, he's part in, of the in star that family star. tree. Yeah. It's like a, he's like a creepy uncle. Okay. Yeah. I guess he's always probing and stuff and, <laughs> Uh, yes, so Madeline and Scott are in space with the Star Jammers, and, and Carol Danvers is also there because she's kind of around a lot, and she is joining the Star Jammers. 
Because now she, because since she became binary, she's got like, she's powered up and kind of like Earth too small for her. Yeah. Captain Marvel, who Carol Danvers is now, is sort of a cosmic character. And I guess this is where that happened. Begins. Claremont yeah. uh, has his stamp all over Carol Danvers. Um, so basically, Madeline Pryor, who was uh, physically a, a clone of Jean Grey and mm-hmm. who had a plane crash the same moment Jean Grey did. The same moment. The, Not same, the same moment. Day even. Ugh, it's insane. And ever since Madeline Pryor has arrived on the scene, there's been a one or two huge flame phoenixes seen in the sky that yes. Storm has witnessed. Uh, but yet she's not Jean Grey, Kevin. Right. Um, so that's happening. And Scott is madly in love with her because, you know, you, sometimes you fall in love with someone who looks just like your ex <laughs> in every way <laughs> imaginable. So this this issue, Kevin, we sort of just kind of jump around and catch up on a lot of the different storylines. Yes. Like we see like Professor a... X and Lalandra. He's dealing with trying to walk because he's been his mind got moved into a new cloned body, but he's not able to get the mm-hmm. legs to work, even though they should work. That's right. Lalandra is getting ready to leave for space again without him. Um, so they're kind of dealing, you know, should please stay. No, I have to go. Why can't I walk? We're not sure. We're still working on it. That's happening. Um, then also Wolverine is in Japan trying to f- talk to Mariko and be like, I don't get it. Why'd you leave me at the altar? She explains a little bit more here. That's because you killed my father. And he's like, I don't accept this. Right. We have Kitty Pride kissing uh, uh, Colossus in yeah. Storm's room. Uh, yes. And also she's expanded her power set. She asks Peter to pick her up and close his eyes and walk forward. And she's able to make him phase up off the ground and through the ceiling. Yeah. It's the biggest thing she's ever phased. She says, um, also we've got storm who's changed her look. Now she is a mohawk, mohawk storm, mohawk storm, leather jacket, sleeveless leather jacket. And she's also got rid of all her plants. She was like a big nature person. Yeah. She's basically redecorated her apartment into sort of like, she has reinvented herself from the ground up. Yes. So no more plants and a mohawk. Um, mm-hmm. Two sort of classic personality changes in the mid 80s. You know, our modern, our listenership might be too young to know this, but in the mid 80s, everybody was getting rid of plants and getting mohawks. Her loft apartment now or her loft room now has like a kind of like a futon couch, sort of a modern 80s chic couch and table and like a mm-hmm. rock in the corner and some sort of like three bulb lamp. It's really cool. It's a nice place. The rock stands out now that you pointed it out. There's sort of just sort of a boulder there in the corner of the room. We <laughs> yeah, don't yeah. totally know what's going on there. Nope. Um, Nightcrawler, who I guess is the team's medical person. I did not know that before I this. I didn't know that either. But he's I guess labeled as such in this he's comic. He's got theme. a stethoscope and suddenly he's one of the, he's good at, he's, he's overseeing Rogue because Rogue uh, and Wolverine <laughs> took out the Silver Samurai last issue, and she's been injured. So she's yeah. kind of tending to her. It's like healing. that brief period where like Wolverine was like their tech guy because he needed to be for the story. Yeah, until Kitty Pride showed up. Now uh, Nightcrawler is the doctor, because why not? Because why not? Um, while Rogue is healing, she asks, she is staying in Jean Grey's old room, which gives Nightcrawler a chance to recap the story of Jean Grey and Phoenix and Dark Phoenix. Uh, then Rogue falls asleep, and Wolverine finds a little witch doll from his uh, stepsister. Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler does. Sorry, Nightcrawler He's... finds 
um, a stuffed animal from his witch girlfriend, stepsister, yeah, uh, flight attendant, witch girlfriend. Yeah. I mean, then the interesting part of that is that they are step siblings. Claremont <laughs> has some weird relationships in these comics. Um, then and then Scott, we cut back to Scott and Madeline who are flying in an airplane. So they're and, flying, I guess, back from space, and they've also they have passengers for some reason. They're like they're manning a passenger jet. I guess they came back from space, but not right in Anchorage. So they had to like you know, charter a flight that Madeline can fly. She's also been they also proposed off panel. She's yes. got an engagement ring now. That happened right. off panel. That was not interesting enough for us to see. It was more important for us to see. Uh, Kitty Pride and Colossus make out for a couple pages. Or Wolverine reminisce about Phoenix and put a yeah. stethoscope on Rogue. Nightcrawler again. You keep calling Nightcrawler Wolverine. Oh, geez, sorry. I don't know why I do that. I don't know uh, either. Nightcrawler would like to have a word with you. <laughs> um, okay, so now Madeline is just, she's getting some work in here uh, after having been in space. And there is a priest on board who hands Scott a photo that the priest says Scott dropped, and it's a photo of Jean Grey, which looks just like Madeline Pryor. And yep. Scott's like, oh, I don't know where that came from. And he doesn't even begin to suspect that the priest is evil and has handed him this photo just to cause some chaos. But Kevin, the priest is evil. Yeah, if he turned around, he would have seen the priest with an evil smile, almost rubbing his hands together, not quite. But he's and almost making a maniacal hand-wringing motion. And it is uh, Mastermind. It's um, yes. It's Jason Wingard in disguise. Um, then the issue ends with Scott. He sort of just, this gets his head thinking. So he basically just says, hey, Madeline, just tell me, are you the reincarnation of Jean Grey, he asks. And honestly, given the evidence, I don't think that's a crazy question. It's not a crazy question. It's probably asked a little bluntly. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it, it, especially in your, if you're an X-Men. Yeah. And the things that have happened to you in your world, it is within the realm of possibility. Sure. And hey, if she says yes, that gets a lot of stuff ironed out. Honestly, she says yes, it makes more sense than if she says no. Yeah. Instead, she clocks him. She just, a, a big right hook knocks Cyclops to the floor. Yeah. It's unclear if this is part of Mastermind's control making this happen or if this is just her reaction. Either way, it's a great punch. It's a really well-drawn punch. It knocks his glasses off, and he has to take out his emergency goggles, yes. his, his emergency little ruby swim goggles from his pocket, which he puts on his eyes. And um, then he goes back in to talk to her, and she fries him with an energy blast. And when she fries him with the energy blast, we get another look at her, and Kevin is no longer Madeline Pryor. It's Phoenix. Not just Phoenix, Will. Dark Phoenix. Dark Phoenix. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to be concluded. I, yeah. Um, there's this thing about Dark Phoenix in my mind, and I'm wondering, they keep you know, teasing her and bringing her back and like playing with her. And like, obviously that has gone on forever. Like eventually she is brought back to life. I wonder if the comics would have been better served by just like literally moving on. It's such a big thing to play with. And it, it feels like a thing, of course, comics are going to play with. The, the the shadow of Dark Phoenix, one of the greatest storylines. Why wouldn't you keep revisiting it? But yeah. would the X-Men comics have been better to just like do a different storyline without her? I think so. I think probably so. I think the storyline works pretty well because it's a mastermind story, really. Um, but it, it is a little redundant like, to me, I think. I feel like we've seen mastermind 
haven't we already had we think Phoenix is back, but she's not? We definitely have had that already. Um, but like I like the I like the plot of Mastermind's Revenge. I think that is interesting. Okay. Um, but I don't know if it necessarily needs Dark Phoenix in it. It is this thing where it's like uh, every time Phoenix shows up again, it's like, well, I know it's not partially. It's also because I know it's not Dark Phoenix, but it's it, it just it's like you keep going back to that well, and it it, it gets a little boring. Well, I yeah. again enjoy these issues mostly. The the issues are are pleasant, but I think the Madeline Pryor stuff does kind of bum me out. It just seems like such a half-assed idea. Yes, I, I I enjoy the Dark Phoenix part more than the Madeline Pryor aspect of it. Like if she was somebody who didn't look like Jean Grey, yeah, if and it was, was like, revealed if it was, to be Dark Phoenix in disguise because of a mastermind plot. Yeah, even that I think I would this like better. better. Yeah, yeah. It's I just don't see what you get out of it to have something so close but not quite. It feels very arbitrary to me. It it feels like what you would do if this was a TV show. Do you just wanted to keep the actress employed? Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, we really like having this person on staff. Like that happens a lot in shows, right? Where it's like, uh, well, we like this actor, so we don't want to kill the character off completely. The storyline says we should, but like, let's keep them around. That happens a lot in genre type stuff. Mm-hmm. They like find reasons to keep the actor on the show. Right. Um, but this is a comic book, so that is not the issue. You could just draw a different person. Yeah, I. so it's kind of, it kind of feels, I, I don't get it. As a reader, mm-hmm. I don't quite know what's what's exciting about that decision. But um, like you say, it's still pretty fun to read. Let's move on to 175. The 20th uh, anniversary of the X-Men, Will Hines. Yeah, so this is like a double-sized issue, I think. Yeah, it's a little longer. Um, and it opens just like most X-Men comics with a little gardening. Yeah, they're ripping up some dead trees. Yeah. Wolverine's like, back from Japan. I feel like they rip out trees a lot, but... Um, they're all doing it. It's a four-man job. <laughs> yeah, I think it, this just should be a Colossus job, but Kitty is there to phase through the tree while he's ripping it out. Yeah. Wolverine is hacking away, I guess, at the roots. And mm-hmm. Nightcrawler is standing guard, maybe just to see if anybody gets any injuries as the team doctor. He'll be there to sort of help. Yeah. it's. I guess it is important. I've cut down some trees, and I forget to have somebody there to phase through them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it shows. It, I do a sloppy job. Storm and Rogue, uh, both more powerful than everybody but Colossus in terms of pure physical strength, is just they're just hanging out and watching. Yeah, it's nice to see them hanging out uh, since Storm hates Rogue and said she was going to quit the team if Rogue joined. She didn't carry through on that threat. Now they're best friends. <laughs> they're well, best they're, friends and always have been. I think they don't quite get along, but they don't, you know, it doesn't show. They're, 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 yeah, they're good teammates. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see another vision of Phoenix. And then plummeting to the earth is the body of Scott Summers and Rogue and Storm go up to catch it. Yeah, when this issue started, I was like, well, that's convenient that Scott was dropped here. But clearly that was part of the plan. He was dropped here on purpose. Um, So it is convenient, but it makes sense. Um, Scott is caught and reports Dark Phoenix has returned. That means it's an all-hands-on-deck meeting of the X-Men to figure out what to do with this cosmic entity, Dark Phoenix, who's as powerful as a god. Mm-hmm. So they so, go to Professor X, who's like, let's check out Cerebro. Yeah, uh, he says he needs Cerebro. With Cerebro, he won't be able to, he'll definitely be able to find Phoenix. Yeah. Um, 
never mind that he's probably used Cerebro just in the in his normal duties. And if there were Phoenix, would have noticed her. We're just going to pretend like he's never thought to check or something. Yeah, or just like keep your eyes out for the giant firebird in the sky. That's also another way to identify where she is. But as soon as he puts Cerebro on, he's shocked by some kind of weird feedback and knocked unconscious. Wolverine, team doctor. He's always been the team doctor. Takes Again, Professor- Nightcrawler is his name. What do I keep saying? Wolverine? You keep calling him Wolverine. I don't know why I do that. That's really strange. <laughs> so your brain is rewired uh, to call Nightcrawler Wolverine throughout truly, this podcast. Truly bizarre. I don't know why I yeah. keep doing that. Um, Nightcrawler. I almost did it again. Nightcrawler takes Professor X to the infirmary uh, mm-hmm. below the danger room. Yes. Um, Kitty expects Rebro because she's the new tech expert and she sees like oh all the all the switches are in the place to cause damage to professor x it's an easy change to happen but they said they all watched him flip the switches correctly but now they're looking at them and they're all incorrectly uh we know that mastermind we know from reading this comic that mastermind is behind this he's a master of illusion so that explains Mm -hmm. what is happening here but the x-men don't quite know that um they look over at uh cyclops and Dark Phoenix comes out of Cyclops's body. Yeah, Mastermind's powers here are different than what I remember. He used to be able to sort of like make himself look different to anybody. He could definitely yeah. do that. And mm-hmm. then also create sort of like a dream illusion in somebody's mind. So like you might think you were in the 1800s. Yeah, but and it seemed like he could do that because be able- he was able to do it with like because of Jean Grey already had telepathic powers and like there was some sort of device or something had. I think they exclaimed, oh, yeah. explained and they're using her power to amplify his he seems to be able to do it to everybody now yeah it's better than before he can create a group wide delusion that everybody simultaneously sees and he can possess bodies well he can't possess bodies he can just make okay. people see like he see they see Jean Grey attacking them, but we find out later that it's often a Cyclops attacking them, and they just see it as Jean Grey. Right. Okay. Is that happening now? Yeah, I don't think this is Madeline Pryor. And it's not anyone is. I don't it's, think anyone is attacking them. He is just making them think all this stuff is happening. Okay. It is an upgrade for Mastermind. It does make him a better villain. Like he wouldn't. He wouldn't stand a chance with his original power set. It doesn't fully make sense. Like I don't know how he makes light. Storm make her lightning hit herself, or how Colossus call you know double over. But I guess he can just make them believe that it's happening so much that it happens. It's like almost like a form of hypnosis. Okay. Um, and as we know from Fantastic Four comics, hypnosis is one of the most powerful abilities <laughs> in the Marvel universe. So this delusion is pretty powerful. They have a little skirmish with what they think is dark Phoenix. Then they escape to like some kind of like television and they see Corsair, Scott's dad, star jammer Corsair, right? Uh, yeah. And they see him die. They see his ship explode while he's communicating with them. We he's- also see rogue get once again, punched so far, <laughs> which I guess must just be her flying out of the building. Cause she thinks she's been punched, but rogue when rogue gets punched, We've seen her get punched to the moon already. (laughs) She takes some wallops, man. I guess because she's like got that Carol Danvers invulnerability, it's 
it's it's okay to knock her around because she can take it sort of so yeah. for, for exciting drawing. And, and she can also like fly back in a She's not out of the fight for the rest. Like when Wolverine yeah. gets knocked into another planet, it's like the rest of the issue is just him walking. <laughs> so Give me Wolverine or right Power. I, I can't tell the difference. Um, Wolverine. I met Wolverine. Hmm, okay. When I said Wolverine, I mean Wolverine. I call Nightcrawler. Here's the clue. Call him Nightcrawler. Okay. I'll keep that in mind. I like to mix it up. So then they contact Captain America. They say they need help from the Avengers, but then his transmission cuts out and they look over the horizon and see a big Phoenix flame from where New York is. And I think they assume that New York is gone. Yeah. It's sort of off panel mentioned that New York has been melted. Yeah. Which they take if, it pretty well. They're pretty, they're pretty chill about the um, New York city just being wiped off the face of the earth with the, mm-hmm. just an effortless, expansion yeah. of will from dark phoenix <laughs> their main reaction to it is like ah there's no other heroes to help us not you know millions of people just got killed yeah or what what can we do to stop this because they kind of they just go to the medical bay and they work on cyclops and then so i know it's not worth drilling into these details kevin right so they, they're having a delusion that dark phoenix is attacking them but also scott summer's body is here yes and so when they see Dark Phoenix rise out of Cyclops, they still see a separate Cyclops body and the Dark Phoenix illusion. Yes. Then they take the real Cyclops body to the medical bay and are tending right. to it when like Cyclops' kind of astral spirit rises out of his body, true near-death experience. That is and really we, happening, yes. That is really happening. And we see from his point of view... Um. And so, so what I'm saying is there's moments when Cyclops appears to be Dark Phoenix and there's a moment when there's just a freestanding Dark Phoenix illusion. Right. Up until this point, Dark Phoenix has been an illusion. And Not so attached he has to of, anybody. He whatever. has this sort of dream of seeing his mom. Cyclops does. That's his like yes. near-death, go-to-the-light sort of right. moment. Then he sort of comes to, he's not injured at all. And he's like, oh, why am I not hurt? I should be hurt. All these things happened to me because it was all illusions. It didn't really happen. Right. And then when he goes to see the X-Men, they see Phoenix for the rest of the issue. So for the rest of the issue, they think Cyclops is Phoenix. Before Cyclops gets up to the hospital bed, it's like freestanding Phoenix illusion. Yes. And Cyclops' unconscious body. But now that Cyclops has woken up for the rest of this battle, it is the Cyclops seen as Dark Phoenix by everybody else. Yeah. Now, the freestanding buddy might have been Madeline Pryor dressed up. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't have power, so she wasn't doing any of these things. But I guess I guess who cares, right? It's just like a fun battle between. (laughs) Yeah, that part doesn't matter. For the rest of it, it's fun because it is Cyclops versus the rest of the X-Men, including both Wolverines, the one that is Nightcrawler and the one that is Wolverine. (laughs) Uh, It's fun. I I like watching Cyclops take down the entire team with just like eye beams. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I guess his advantage is he can see what's really going on, and they're sort of they they think they're fighting Phoenix. But it's not the first time he's taken them all down, and it's not the first time the X Men fight each other because of illusions and stuff. That's yeah. that's happened. To, that's happened here or there. Um, at some point, Madeline Pryor squares off against Mastermind. She's having a delusion, and she sees Mastermind. I mean, she's. I mean, I don't know. She she sees she comes to and like Mastermind's with her and kind of taunting her and he's standing like in a fire room but that's all illusions we don't know where they are okay um but then he turns into scott summers and she kisses him immediately (laughs) she's in a room that has changed this look three times yeah scott summers was not in this room yeah 
but then all of a sudden he is and she kisses him and it's mm-hmm. oh it's mastermind she was tricked right. and at that point i'm like i think that's on you sorry madeline yeah you you had if a my lot wife of appeared in front of me in a in a in a dream room yeah i wouldn't be like oh i'm gonna kiss her <laughs> i'd be like oh i don't know what's going on this is a weird place <laughs> meanwhile cyclops has gotten the x-men into the danger room either by accident or on purpose it seems like on purpose because he's designed it to look like the savage land and it's like more like a holodeck than a danger room now right it's like able to pretty accurately recreate being in the savage land yeah i think this happened i think they added like shiar tech or something at some point i forget there was some mention of this okay i mean i I don't know if this capability was shown but it definitely had been amped up at some point because remember, it, they had the thing where Il- Ilyana accidentally programmed it to take them to limbo? Yes, that's right. So this is not uh, completely unknown. Okay, right. That he could do these things. So they have like a fight in the Savage Land. They still think they still think Scott is Dark Phoenix. There's fighting there. Yes. Uh, and then, um, I have to admit, I lost a little track of what happened. But at some point, Cyclops get out of the danger room. He takes an unconscious rogue. And, and he wants- gasses rogue with some some poppy gas. Okay, poppy gas, which is danger room manufactured alien plants, which he read in a medical file will phase her. Yeah, I think he just read that like that is like a weakness of hers, right? Because okay. like you can't hurt her. She's super strong, but she still breathes normal. Right, so you can get her with some. It's not gas. like it's her kryptonite. It would have gotten anybody unconscious, but okay, she just has she no defense. He can against. he can blast Nightcrawler and Storm. He can't blast Rogue because she's too strong. Like Nightcrawler, hmm. he's this. Um, I don't know how to. It's too much to get into now. So um, he's a founding member of the all new X Men. Hmm. Sounds cool. So um, Cyclops takes the unconscious and gassed Rogue and wants to use her skin or he wants to use her powers to steal psychic energy from the unconscious Professor X so that he yes. can use Professor X's powers to let the other X-Men know what's really going on. Yes. Somehow. Rogue's powers are fun. Yes, they are fun. So she, Scott, Scott takes her hand, touches Professor X's forehead. That initiates the power transfer. That's Rogue's true mutant ability. Mm-hmm. steals Professor X's memories and abilities, and then somehow Scott can sort of like steer it. And yeah, because so- he's used to psychic powers because of his longstanding psychic connection with Jean Grey. Okay. He's got some sort of, like he was also able to like help Jean in her head during the original Mastermind. That's Phoenix right. He can keep her oriented. All right. So now this the X-Men- all been previously established things. There are no space whales. Mm-hmm. This confused Will. I was on top of this, but Will also has trouble keeping track of all the X-Men. So that's true. So now I got a question. Where is She-Hulk and all this? So is, <laughs> no, are, they, no. are they saving her for later? Okay. No, she's so, in the annual we read. So <laughs> um so now the now the X-Men kind of know what's up. They know they're against Mastermind. And so now they're all kind of using their abilities to and they they pretty quickly like find him and and subdue him. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't really. He has, once you can see through his illusions, he's pretty easy to take down. Those there is a bit where Storm seemed willing to kill everyone. Yeah, Storm has become more vengeful and angry than old yeah. pacifist Storm. She like just her her Storm is so vicious that it everyone is like, uh, calm down, Storm. Um, Madeline almost dies but doesn't, and uh, then Scott and Madeline get married. There's a quickie wedding at the end of this issue. Way quicker than the proposal. That's like, um, yeah, we get like to a, see this at least. It didn't just like happen th- off panel. Three and a half page wedding. 
Uh, and a lot of the X-Men are in attendance. We got um, Nightcrawler and his flight attendant <laughs> yeah, girlfriend, right. Professor X and Lalandra. Uh, Banshee comes back with um, Moira. Moira. Havoc and, is there, Scott's brother. Uh, Kitty and Cyclops, of course. Wolverine and I don't know who the... Maybe that's Carol Danvers. I, it's got to be Carol Danvers, the blonde, the, uh, the blonde sitting next yes, to Wolverine. Yes. I don't yeah. see Rogue here, but I assume Rogue is somewhere there. Uh, she's with her brotherhood of evil mutant friends. Uh, <laughs> Kitty Pride is the bridesmaid. I, I think that's a bad call. I think it should have been Storm. <laughs> I think like the, uh, the other captain of the X-Men more than like Kitty New Pride. Kid. But, yeah. yeah. I think it's probably right. But, and um, you know. and then it ends with um, Scott and his Jean Grey clone uh, getting married. And it just should have been Phoenix. They should have brought Phoenix back from the dead. And this is silly. That's what Wilhelm says. The Madeline thing is silly. I will agree with that. Um, I think they should have left Phoenix dead and not brought her back. And just Either had him her, date. I, I agree. Either had him date like whatever, like that ship captain girl. Yeah, that, yeah. I, yeah, that, that'd be that'd be something. Um, okay, and so also Paul Smith, it looks like, left halfway through this issue because he drew the first 29 pages and then John Romita drew the final 9 or 10 or something. Yeah, it's a pretty similar style. I think the inker probably did. I think it was a loose John Romita layouts and then uh, Bob Wiesick, I think, tried to keep it, keep it in Paul Smith style because the next issue looks more like John Romita art. I didn't notice the shift, basically, until I saw yeah, the Yeah, it's impressive. Um, so I want, you know, I don't know why Paul Smith left. He had a pretty short run, yeah. very impactful run, very beautiful run. Do you know what's interesting? Okay. Uh, so Paul Smith is the end of the Paul Smith era, I guess, is, is yes. what I wanted to just mark. Um, he's got like a blog that I looked at briefly on the old internet. Mm-hmm. And, I've heard of um, it. The internet, not his blog. Just, they're just very short entries. Sometimes they're his thoughts on like political events. Sometimes they're just like, I mean, it's like a blog and just sometimes what he's doing. But a lot of times it's like thoughts about comic books. And there's a fair number of entries about the X-Men. G- given that he only did it for less than a year in the early 80s, you know, like yeah, almost 40 years ago. Wait, is that right? 10, 20, 30. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it still occupies his mind a lot. It makes th- these people who have these short tenders in the X-Men, they never forget it. I mean, I also think it is the biggest thing he did. Yeah. Um, the next biggest thing to me, I don't know if this is actually the next biggest thing, was his Leave it to Chance series he did with James Robinson, which is like an independent book that ran like 10 issues mm-hmm. that people loved, including me, uh, that didn't run that long. People always wanted more of it, but like for whatever reason, didn't continue. Um. Oh, it's just interesting, you know, like John Byrne is still, I mean, John Byrne had a much longer and more impactful run than Paul Smith, but John Byrne's still very passionate about the X-Men. I mean, he's writing fan fiction comics. He's, he's writing fan fiction issues to, to kind issues of erase of Claremont's uh, impact on it, um, or more just what he would have done. And Hey, John, you ever think about the X-Men? A little bit. I've written 30 issues of it. <laughs> Plus, I did an independent series called that Next Men. Yeah. So it's come up a few times here and there. So, uh, Kevin, 176. Yeah. I How love this cover, by the way. We're going to breeze through the annual. I think we'll make it all up there. Okay, great. So now we're fully into the John Romita Jr. Uh, time of drawing the X-Men. We now have a honeymooning Scott Summers and Madeline Pryor. They have a plane crash, which I think should be traumatic because – 
Scott was thrown out of a plane as an orphan. She almost died in a plane crash. His ex-girlfriend kind of died in a plane crash, but none of that gets brought up. They just have a near plane crash yeah. in this issue. And like the last time Scott was on a boat, it was a big storm that like uh, capsized and left him on an island. This yeah. guy shouldn't travel. Yeah, uh, but none of this. He seems to be accumulating no trauma. Yeah, or shirts, or shirts. He's he's whenever he's not with the X Men, the first thing he does is take his shirt off. <laughs> it seems to be like what happens. Yeah, it's, it's, it's only, the X Men make me wear shirts all the time. <laughs> Um, then we cut to Wolverine, who's back in Japan. He was in Japan, then he was in America, and he's back in Japan trying to investigate Marika. Oh, his frequent flyer miles are so good at this point. And he's basically challenging her and being like, look, your story doesn't add up. The reason, you And you know what? Wolverine is correct. This is Wolverine, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. This one actually, actually is Wolverine. Yeah, he's basically saying like, hey, Mastermind is gone, so now we can get married, right? The illusion is over. Yeah. But because of Mastermind, she like made deals with like uh, the underworld. And she's like, I got to fix that before I can marry you. Which seems like I, BS I don't to me. fully understand. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like BS. It just seems more like comic book logic. We can't have Wolverine be happy. So we got to think of some reason why his true love won't marry him. Yeah. But if you didn't want him happy, like they shouldn't have almost gotten married. <laughs> I think I'm beginning to look. Chris Claremont is really chaotic in his plotting. Mm -hmm. Like, I, you know, it's, it's very instinctual for him. I think. Yeah. Um, while Scott and Madeline are trying to fix their airplane, a giant shark almost eats Scott. And that just doesn't happen. That is an insane, this is like something out of Jaws. It yeah. leaps out, it almost eats Scott. It is, that shark must be so starving to leap so high to try to get Scott Summers. And it's like big enough that when it opens its mouth, it looks like she could just slide into its gullet without touching the sides of the throat. Yeah, but then a giant tentacle monster, uh, some sort of giant squid eats the shark, so it all works out. Uh, then we go to the White House, and now there's some more like anti-mutant sentiment happening at the White House, or sorry, yeah, Congress uh, or something. Valerie Cooper, is that, uh, I think, who is? Yeah, Dr. Valerie Cooper sort of making a stand that the X-Men are trouble. Mm -hmm. um, they're, the mutants pose a clear and present danger to our country that must be dealt with today at once. So that is setting something up for the future. Um, back with the uh, Scott and Madeline, the plane resting on the surface of the ocean. They've gotten rid of the uh, shark. Uh, they don't know about the squid monster, and they're doing repairs to to. And the, I guess they're on their way to fixing the plane. Is what it looks like is happening. Yeah, they're trying to fix it before the storm gets too big to take off. Okay. Uh, then we, we check in with the Morlocks. Yes, uh, Callisto's got plans that involves Caliban. Uh, who's lost his hat, but still looks cool. Um, yeah, Caliban is a lovesick over Kitty Pride. Yeah, Kitty Pride did promise to come back to Caliban if he helped her, and then she just like left with the X Men. It's a pretty cold hearted move. Yeah, Caliban's, uh, you know, Caliban's sort of, you know, he's he's something for the incels to um, to to relate to. He's, you know, this woman mistreated him, and that's why he's evil. But yeah. Callisto, Callisto. The Chrissy Hind looking leader of the Morlocks. That's the lead singer of the Pretenders, Kevin. That's a rock band. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, is kind of saying, hey, you know what? I can help you get Kitty. And I, you know, I got schemes. And I, you know, and I had and they're and then the big dude, I forget who he is, is like, what about Storm? She's Sunder is his name. Okay. Sunder, Sunder with an S. Storm, who defeated you when they came here, you know, is still in charge. She's like, Yeah, I got plans for her too, sort of. So Callisto's up to something. I don't 
here's how I feel about trial by combat to make yourself leader of something. If you leave, you're not yeah. leader anymore. Yeah, you just won the combat. Yeah, uh, Storm has not come back to the Morlocks. They're on their own. Who's running things? Yeah, who's just like the logistics? Who's maintaining supply lines? Yeah. Who's getting uh, cloths to hang on the walls of the sewer? That per like if we elected Biden president and then he immediately right. like moved to Belgium and didn't come back to America ever again. Yeah. I don't think we'd be like, that's our president. <laughs> the guy or I guess more if, if Trump and the if when Trump was president, if Biden challenged him to a trial by combat, defeated him and then left, be like, yeah, Trump is still president. Yeah, it didn't change that, anything. That's what the he, election fraud charges are. Oh, really? I didn't realize. But Biden yeah. didn't, I mean, Biden didn't leave. Yes. Trial by combat between those two would be really funny. That would have been really funny. So Madeline and Scott have the plane repaired. The storm is coming down. They're, they're, the window is closing when they'll be able to take off, even with a fixed plane. Yes. She's uh, but then hauling the giant up the anchor. Squid pulls Madeline, uh, Madeline into the ocean. And so now Scott dives in. She's in a bikini. He's shirtless. We got some thirst trap uh, action sequences coming. I mean, this is a well-orchestrated. John Romita Jr. draws good action. This is a fun action sequence. Uh, Scott loses his glasses multiple times. He, like, loses them, gets in the back, loses them again. Uh, and then they but, get aboard the know. plane. They shake the monster, and they're able to take off, and they're all right. Yep. Um, and, you know, they kiss a few times. They're real lovey-dovey. This plane has a good autopilot. They often like turn it on. Oh no, I think it's bro the autopilot is broken at the end because um, Scott wants to have sex. Madeline says she'd be too tired anyway, and that's the end of that issue. Yeah, her response is, "Thank God for small favors. There's no autopilot, so I don't have to deal with your insane male desire." Yeah, uh, I really think that issue is very fun. I know that not much happens in it plot wise, but it's mm -hmm. fun, uh, cool action sequences. John Romita Jr. really uh, having a blast drawing some cool stuff. We saw this when Paul Smith joined and, and John Romita Jr. is keeping <laughs> up. Just if somebody can just like smooth out the logistics of what's happening, it really adds a lot. Yeah. We did not see that with Dave Cockrum. No disrespect to Mr. Cockrum, but his issues for whatever reason. Yeah. Certainly his second run was messy and sloppy. Yeah. And not enough brood. Oh, man. It was all brood. Um, and then we read an annual. I don't think there's much reason to get too much into it. Other than a brief so, overview of it, Will, what was the brief, the brief overview? The brief overview uh, is I the- I made you do it. Okay. <laughs> the impossible man, who's a Jack Kirby Fantastic Four character, shows up disguised as Galactus and is on a scavenger hunt. And among his scavenger hunt are various like people and items related to Marvel superhero characters. And so the X-Men get caught up in- dealing with the impossible man wreaking havoc. They don't even know it's the impossible man for a significant portion of this, but that's what's going on. Yeah. It's played like it's a secret, even though impossible man is on the cover of the comic, though. I don't know how many people would know who that is, I guess. He's not huge um, character, right? No, I mean, he had, he was around in the FF a lot, which is probably why Claremont loves him so much, but I don't, I can't imagine he was super popular in the eighties. Was he, I think I he know. was in the cartoon. I remember seeing him in the old, in, in one of the cartoons, I think. I mean, there's definitely a stretch um, when George Perez was drawing the FF where Impossible Man was around the FF a lot. And I only know that from uh, reading Tom Brevroot's blog about it. 
he's kind of um, a Mr. Mixelplex sort of guy. Like he's very yeah. powerful, but he mostly uses his power for mischief. Yeah, he could turn into anything. He's like a shape changer, but he can turn into anything and like also have the abilities of that thing. Like he can turn into a rocket that can really fly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he seems indestructible, but he mostly just like causes mayhem and problems and annoys people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so he's doing a scavenger hunt where he's gathering all these important things. It's a scavenger hunt without like a list of things he's looking for. He's just grabbing whatever. So it's not really a scavenger hunt. It's just stealing. Yeah. And then whoever steals the best stuff becomes president of his planet, I guess. Which is destroyed. So it's like becomes a president of the, okay, yeah, yeah. Of his new planet, which is just him, his wife, and his child, I think is what is explained to us. Yeah, anyway. I, had, I had a little trouble with the logistics, but what what this, there's also like a third act that takes place in Marvel offices with lots of cameos. Well, one of the scavenger hunt items is Stan Lee. Yeah, and so the Impossible Man goes into the Marvel offices, and we see a lot of the yeah. writers and artists who are sort of around the X Men. We don't see it John is, Byrne, but we do see Paul Smith. Uh, don't we see? The, oh, that was Paul Smith we saw saying he used to draw them. I think so. Because, yeah, somebody calls him Paul. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a lot of in-jokes because, like, these characters are all doing silly things and, like, making appearances. There's also, like, a reference to the Marvel offices moving, which I'm sure fans of the X-Men comic did not care about or know about. Yeah. Uh, it seems like this is a comic for, like, he made this comic to have hand out to the bullpen at Marvel. <laughs> It's very assistant editors month, which was around this time where yes. every comic had something weird go down under the idea that the assistant editors were running I mean, the show. Even to the point that the assistant editor is on the last page talking about this comic. We get a little Magnum PI, Kevin. Uh, yeah, we get to Claremont loves Magnum PI, I guess. In Claremont's eyes, there's nothing more tempting to women than um, Tom Selleck. I mean, he was an attractive man and he was a popular man with women. I don't think he was the 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 end all and be all but maybe he was i don't know maybe he was i mean we were kids we don't know but the impossible man turns into tom Selleck at one point and kitty pride and alana immediately are like like they, right. then they look at the camera and say this folks is the ever loving ever living end and impossible man becomes garfield yeah it's a pretty awful ending to a mediocre issue mm-hmm I did not enjoy this issue. Like, like I feel like every other annual I think is bad. And every other annual that I, other than that, I think is fun and okay. Yeah, I guess the only justification for this annual is that you got to see a lot of Marvel characters, right? Like the Impossible Man goes yeah. to the Avengers and you know he goes around to a lot of people. Yeah, if you're only buying the X-Men comics, it's like a fun tour of the Marvel Universe, I guess. Yeah. It's sort of like the all-star game in baseball. It's like, oh, cool. You can see all these other baseball players. But also it's like, I could see any of those baseball players if I wanted to now. Yeah. And this game so, doesn't count and who cares? And so if I really wanted to see all these Marvel characters, I'd like read the Avengers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's annual seven, everybody. All right. So, uh, uh, so Will hated these issues. I thought they were good, but Will also uh, doesn't know who Nightcrawler is anymore. So my brain is scrambled today. I, I don't <laughs> I apologize. I don't know why. Uh, let's take a short break and then answer some mail. So, Kevin, Screw It Comics is sponsored by Shortboxed. Why don't you tell the people what that is? Shortboxed is an app and a website where people buy and sell graded comic books uh, that they've uploaded photos of and then you know, ship them to each other. Sort of like a, a, a very specialized uh, shopping network, 
I've already talked too much. Uh, no, you're doing great. And uh, what is uh, graded comic books? Graded comic books are when people send their comics to a third party. Mm-hmm. We take these comics and kind of judge the condition of the comic book. Is it is it folded? Is it ripped a little bit? Is it how faded are the colors? And then they kind of seal it in like sort of this hard plastic and send it mm-hmm. back with a grade on it uh, between like zero and 10. So 10 being like, oh, this comic is in perfect condition. It could not possibly be better. And one is, what did you do to this comic book? <laughs> what happened You're here? a monster. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Sharpbox, their app has just been redesigned recently. So it's more intuitive and prettier. And they have giveaways where you can like enter contest to win graded comic books, sometimes signed, sometimes pretty old. I enter, I've entered a few and I've won zero. Hint, hint, short box. Let's rig it for your sponsees. Yeah, that there's no controversy there. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Shortboxed is great. We think you should download the Shortboxed app and check it out today. Or tomorrow, one of the two. And we're back. Well, we've got a lot of mail because it's been a while since we've answered any. Our last mailbag episode, which to the listeners was last week, we recorded like a month and a half ago. Right. So we have a ton of mail that's been piling up. What's your plan? Should we just spend an hour right now doing it all or? And I don't think so. I think we're just, uh, uh, I, some people I'm just not going to answer. Uh, I, I've emailed them back instead mm-hmm. of answering them on this podcast. But you're not going to publicly acknowledge them. That's right. Um People who've written multiple times, I'm only going to read some of. I think we're mm-hmm. just going to kind of jump around and I don't know. We'll see what happens. Okay. We, we might not get to everybody's emails. Some emails might never get answered. We'll just do what we can. Um, we have more trivia from Keith. Uh, he gave us those cool trivia questions. I sort yeah, of feel like we'll save that for next time. Okay. That's a little, little teaser. Because I just, I worry that that will be the whole mailbag. Right. Okay. So let's get started. I'm just going to go through old stuff, basically, I think, because it's easier. We have an email from Tony B. And he says, read literally any Steve Gerber written comics. Dear Sops, what's Sop? Nice. Just writing in to lend my voice to the growing sea of people clamoring for Screw It to cover some Steve Gerber comics. He wrote Man-Thing, Defenders, Omega the Unknown, and of course, Howard the Duck. Any of these would be a superb run to cover. His comics are always so wonderful and dazzlingly bizarre. He also wrote a run of Fool Killer for Marvel in the 90s. That would be a good sleeper pick. There's lots of gonzo behind the scenes stories that would be fun to cover, like the time he unofficially crossed over a Marvel comic with an image comic in order to kidnap the real Howard the Duck from the Marvel Universe and replace him with an imposter. Thanks for all the free content, fellas, and take care. So that is another person saying we should read. Steve Gerber, if they're right, we should. Maybe we should. I mean, I'm not going to argue with everybody. Everybody's, that's a lot of people. Yeah. Here's an email from Steven. Spider-Man Rain. Uh, that's not rain like from the water, the sky well. That's like rain of kings. Okay. Huge fan. Just started the Dark Knight Returns episodes. And I'm so excited to listen along. And was just thinking it would be so awesome to follow this up with Care Andrews' Spider-Man Rain, which is a basically Marvel's Dark Knight Returns, but with Spider-Man. The plot is so intense and crazy, and as my go-to Spidey scholars, and while, uh, and as I think he's saying, as you're my go-to Spidey scholars, and you're in this Miller Noir headspace, I feel like your reactions and insight to the story would be so cool. That's mm-hmm. all. Keep on keeping on, Excelsior. I've read Spider-Man Reign. I think I remember you saying you're a little lukewarm on it. I would say I'm ice cold on it. Okay. I think it is bad. Wow. I remember there's a plot point of like Spider-Man being sterile because of his radioactive blood and being sad about that. I'm just like, I guess I don't care about Spider-Man's sterility enough for it to be a plot point of comics. That's all I care about. Uh, the art is 
good. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Thought you were going to say great. You backed off it to good. I, I can't remember it that well. His Carrie Andrews is a great artist. I've uh, somebody gave me a copy of that, so I actually have a print copy of that. I, I have. To, I should read it. You should read it. Uh, it's crazy. I mean, it, it's probably a better comparison to The Dark Knight Strikes Again in okay. like that it's an insane future story and bonkers. And if you sort of embrace it as like the bonkers story, it's fun. Yeah. But if you're if you're comparing it to Dark Knight Returns, it reads like a bad Dark Knight Returns. Okay. Uh, here's from from John Bournes. He's emailed us before, I believe. Hey, Silk Mops. Nice. I loved the Dark Knight Returns comics and episodes. I hadn't read any of Miller's Batman stuff until I read year one when you guys covered it previously. I liked it so much that I immediately bought Dark Knight Returns, hoping to like it as much as year one. I found the density, text, and art style to be so off-putting that I put the book down after only reading like 10 pages. Mm. It wasn't until you guys did these episodes that I was motivated to pick it up again. I'm totally glad I did because the story is fantastic. And once you sort of get used to it, uh, once you sort of get used to everything, it's very, very good. So thank you. Um, and I, I think that is a very fair reaction to the Dark Knight Returns that we even yeah. talked about when we were covering it. That those like first five or six pages are dense and they just drop you in. They don't, it doesn't ease you into the story. And the art is very like stylized and abstract. It's not like beautiful and easy to look at like Mazzuchelli's year one or something. And you don't know what's going on at first. Yeah. Slang words, future society, people that you don't recognize. Uh, it, it, it weirdly, it is, it, it is why it's a good companion to Watchmen because I think Watchmen is very good and more readable than Dark Knight Returns at first, but I also think there's parts of Watchmen that is very dense and hard to get through, mm-hmm. but both those books, I think on, uh, repeated readings become better and better and better. Or like John is saying, even if you just get into it and get acclimated to it's kind yeah. of like way it gets good even before the first read is done. Oh yeah. I think it's good first read, but I think it gets better. Yeah. Where I sort of think Batman Year One is almost—it's there right away. It—it it doesn't get better when you reread it. It just gets equally as good for me. It's just so simple and pure. Yeah. Uh, he, he goes on to talk about something I believe you know about. Will. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not why I'm here. I just watched a documentary on Netflix about a minor league hockey team called the yeah. Danbury Thrashers. Trashers or Thrashers. Sorry. Yes. Which is run by a 17-year-old son of a mafia crime boss. <laughs> right. <laughs> If memory serves you guys from Danbury, do you know about the story? It's one of the craziest things I've ever seen. In my mind, Danbury is a small town, so I can only assume all those knuckleheads are friends of yours. Thanks for the good work. Keep it up, John. Um, so, yeah, I, I discovered this documentary and I watched it. I really recommend it. I think it's called uh, Penalty Time or like, oh, gosh, it's like a part of a series of sports documentaries. And it's like. Uh, I'll look it up here uh, after after I'm done talking. But it's a, yeah, just like you said, it's a really fun story of a basically mafia boss who buys a minor league hockey team for his 17 year old son to run, and then his 17 year old son runs it and hires a bunch of guys who he just says foul everybody. We want to be the bad boys of this league, and he hires a bunch of dropouts and people with injuries and criminal records who are also good hockey players, and just tells them to go nuts physically and they become like a media sensation within the small world of minor league hockey. And it all happened in me and Kevin's hometown. And I knew nothing about this. And were we in Danbury when this was happening? No, no. Um, it's in the two thousands. So we had like left Danbury by that point. Yeah. Oh, it's the, the series is called untold. And then this particular 
instance of it as crimes and penalties. I mean, it would be crazy if we were living there and this happened and we didn't know about it. I didn't even know about the rink. There's like just some rink in the middle of Danbury, which I think was there. And that's where the hockey team played. Well, there wasn't a minor league hockey team when we were there, though. No, no. Oh, right. um, but I think there might have been a, a rink. You know what? I'm not sure. But no, we knew nothing about this. It didn't happen when we were there. Um, the the crime boss actually lived in New Fairfield, oh. um, which is now, a, that is a small town. <laughs> New Fairfield's quite small. And so that's where his son like went to high school. And a lot of the people in the story are new Fairfield people. Um, I'm not trying to like distance Danbury no. from the story, but it's one. Oh, they really like, trashed Danbury's rep, new Fairfield. Um, <laughs> they win. But um, uh, Kevin and I did, didn't know any of the people, but it's it a like, crazy story. It's a really fun story. And it's a really fun documentary. That was their fast. way of getting Squan's Pond on top of Danbury, uh, Candlewood Lake, I guess. <laughs> that's right. The Squan's Pond versus Dan- uh, Candlewood Lake rivalry. <laughs> decided in favor of Squants Pond because of a minor league hockey team. Anyway, those are references for you, me, Brian, and and Dan. <laughs> um, uh, uh, this is a long email, so I'm going to skim it. Well, this is from Joe Dunham, but it's okay. interesting. He's giving us the background on Carol Danvers, okay, and why Claremont sort of took her into the X Men verse. Uh, first, he chastises me for not liking the Brood. <laughs> um, uh, both of you expressed some confusion regarding Carol Danvers's large role in the 150s and 160s of X-Men and her transformation to binary in the Brood saga. Carol left her former team in Avengers 200 in a widely maligned story often referred to as the Rape of Miss Marvel. Damn. Uh, I'll try to summarize the events. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, Carol suddenly finds herself pregnant in issue 197 with the pregnancy developing for far quicker than normal. By issue 200, she gives birth to a baby named Marcus, who then rapidly ages into a fully grown man. It is revealed that Marcus is a son of Amortis uh, and is her own and is his own father, using Carol's body to sire himself without her consent. Carol is remarkably calm about this revelation and decides to leave to another dimension to have a romantic sexual relationship with Marcus, who she just had given birth to hours before. The rest of the Avengers are happy for her, cracking jokes and wishing her well as she leaves the team. Okay. Um, what year did that all go down in? Uh, uh, I mean, this is around now, so I guess late 70s, early 80s. Okay. Um, uh, uh, he quotes an, uh, an article somebody wrote, Carol Danvers was subjected to a sexual assault that was characterized as nonviolent, traumatic, and even as an act of love. Uh, it's not wrong to have bad things happen to your characters, but the comic itself fails to see any negative aspect of the events, portraying to its readers that nothing bad has happened to Carol. It is presented as funny and natural, and the writers are on Marcus's side. <laughs> uh, Chris Claremont, like many readers, was completely appalled with this development of the character. He obtained the writing role of Avengers Annual 10 um, and focused exclusively on rehabilitating the character of Carol Danvers. I can't recommend reading it enough, but I'll again give a high-level summary. Carol is revealed to have returned to Earth only to lose her powers when she exposed to the then-villain rogue's power for far too, far too long. Mm-hmm. In another clear parallel to sexual assault and trauma, uh, then Xavier restores her memories to her, and then they go to confront the Avengers. Carol spends approximately 10 straight pages ripping into the Avengers. Claremont directly addresses the complete lack of concern for Carol's pregnancy and for her mental state in a way that gives back agency to the character and makes it clear that this writing was not acceptable. She's understandably refuses to rejoin the Avengers and takes up with the X-Men's offer to save the X-Mansion. Um, 
And, and then he kind of goes on for a little bit more about why that's great. I agree. It sounds. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, I get annoyed when writers feel like they're going to spend a comic just fixing things. This feels right. like a good use of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had no idea, but that's a crazy story. I had no idea about any of that. I'd heard about that bad Avengers as being like the worst Avengers annual of all time. The one that, but I had never read it. I didn't know many details about it. Yeah. Well, eventually we do this podcast long enough. We're actually going to know something about comics. Oh yeah, maybe. Uh, Julio Casada emails us. Hello, Milksops. I, I hope you've seen the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness trailer, which looks awesome. I love that Sam Raimi is doing comic book movies again and the infinite possibilities this movie gives us. Uh, here's my question. Uh, so, well, this is some spoilers for things that people have pulled out of the trailer. Are you okay with that? Very okay. Since Patrick Stewart's Professor X is in the trailer, he's not in the trailer, but you do hear his voice a little bit. Okay. Is what people have said. I believe them because they're good about that. Which characters from previous non-MCU films would you want to see being reprised by the actors who played them or new alternate versions as like, as such as Tom Cruise as Iron Man? Because he has once talked about his playing Iron Man. Okay. Any alternate reality actors that you'd like to see? How about Wesley Snipes as Blade coming in? I mean, that'd be day. great, right? Yeah. That'd be great. You could also have Leonardo DiCaprio as Spider-Man, right? Wasn't he mm-hmm. supposed to play Spider-Man at one point? Uh, you're the craziest one. Nicolas Cage as Superman, violating DC yeah. Marvel boundaries and everything. I would say if, if you're for real just talking about bringing back people who've played characters like Andrew Garfield getting to redeem himself in uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah. I would love to see Shaq get to play Steel again. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I think Steel is a good character. Uh, I would want it to be a small part because I don't think Shaq is necessarily a great actor. Yeah. But I think that movie is bad, but Shaq was very excited to be in it. I would love to have him get to be like in a good couple scenes as a Steel. That's a that's a fun take, Kevin. Uh, Will, do I have uh, the ability to share with you right now? Oh, I can't because my I have not set up my Zoom. Okay, doesn't matter. You won't get to see this image. I'm sorry, Will. Okay. There's a character named Bantam, B-A-N-T-A-M. Okay. In the Marvel Universe. Not Batman. Not Batman. Bantam. Okay. Uh, Adam S. emails us, greeting Heinz brethren. I recently became aware of an X-Men character called Bantam. And I realized that Marvel has missed the opportunity to launch a franchise via marketplace confusion. <laughs> Disney could release MCU films such as Bantam Begins and Bantam Returns. <laughs> they could release toys such as the Bant Cave and the Bantmobile. Uh, scores of confused grandmas might accidentally buy these products for their grandkids who requested Batman merchandise. Could you imagine being a kid thinking he's getting a Batman toy only to open the package to see this little group? <laughs> And to see this little green freak instead. I wish I could show you the image. He looks like uh, Google Bantam Marvel. He looks like a, a sort of a green Caliban wearing like a, a Mr. Hyde coat. I don't know. It's very weird. Bantam's also um, a publishing line, right? Like Bantam Books? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. My question is whether something like this has ever happened to you. Did you, either of you ever receive a comic book? He looks, like, a, a he looks like the Kingpin crossed with Caliban. Yeah. Uh, have you ever received a comic book related gift as a lad that was a w- well-meaning relative just got just wrong enough to make it a huge disappointment? <laughs> Keep up sopping up the milk. Um, have you ever gotten anything like that? Well, like a gift that was just off. I, I, I can't, I'm real. I relate to it. So I must've, but I can't remember any exact examples of it. Yeah. I don't think I ever, nothing like <laughs> nothing that drastic. Um, it does feel like a thing that happens when we were growing up. Um, certainly by the time I was like in grade school, 
our dad was sort of a lazy parent and I, he would just give me like a Sears catalog and he'd be like, circle the things you're interested in. And then he would just <laughs> order some of those things. <laughs> so there wasn't like a chance for him to mess it up. Right. Right. Cause it would be like, Oh, I circled them and he just needed to like call it's Sears or JC Penney. The pre the pre-internet version of an Amazon wish list. I do feel like dad would sometimes just grab comic books for me and they would be just things he'd gotten in the airport, like on the way back from a business trip. So they'd be a re- truly random assortment of like one of them was e-man which i think is a charlton character yeah yeah joe stanton drum and um there was i think the backup story in e-man was some sort of guy who when he spoke in capital letters had powers but in lowercase letters didn't or something <laughs> like that i mean that i was cool. a, i was a kid and i could not keep track of what was happening although judging from my brain power today that that isn't necessarily the comic book's fault uh i'm gonna read two quick emails from the same person and then I think I got one more long one I want to read. Okay. I like having the lay of the land. Uh, so this, these two emails are from Mark D, who's emailed us before. Dear brothers, your recent talk about Frank Miller's political views reminded me of some connections I see between him and one of your all-time favorites, Steve Ditko. Mm-hmm. Number one, when I recently read the early Doctor Strange stories drawn by Steve Ditko, some panels reminded me a lot of Frank Miller's work. Both artists enjoyed dark, moody lighting and thick brushwork and crosshatching to great effect. Two, Frank Miller followed in Ditko's footsteps a bit, which makes me wonder if he was a fan. For instance, Miller was once slated to draw Doctor Strange, and he also drew a handful of Spider-Man stories and covers. Three, like Miller, Ditko expressed extreme moral stances on social issues in his late career work and held a very black and white view of the world. Now, you've mentioned several times that Steve Ditko is responsible for many of the best parts of the Marvel Universe, but let's take this further. Did Steve Ditko create Frank Miller? <laughs> I say yes. I say yes. Uh, uh, I'm not gonna. That's ironclad proof. I think we mentioned the story in here before, but um, Frank Miller called up Steve Ditko in the late '80s and said, "Let's do Mr. A together. Let's bring back Mr. A. Like you can plot and draw him, and I'm, I just want to do the dialogue because your dialogue's a little too. I can make the dialogue better." And Steve Ditko said no, <laughs> which was. Um, Crazy, which yeah. is a truly, truly bad decision. Ditko was more interested in working with somebody who was like successful. And... <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that is crazy. That would have been an inter- very, it would have still been a bad comic, but it would have been a very interesting bad comic. It's not a bad idea though. Like Miller and did, you know, Miller, like 1987, Frank Miller. Yeah. I like the idea of Miller using his acclaim for to be like, let's get Ditko work out there for people to see. Yeah. You're somebody who everyone should be reading no matter what you're doing. I will help make that happen with my name alone. And um, uh, Ditko was like, no, thank you. I'll draw an issue of Squirrel Girl and be on my way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and here's another email from Mark D. And, and Will, he's got us on this one. Okay. Uh, the subject is cowards. Uh, dear and brothers. It, and, and it hurts. I just want to point something out. When you read the early issues of The Amazing Spider-Man, you thought it was hilarious how often Stan Lee would have characters calling each other cowards, like it was the worst insult in the world. But in Born Again, when J. Jonah Jameson calls Ben Yurik a coward, oh, suddenly it's all edgy (laughs) and adult. You're hypocrites. He's dead to rights. Yeah, he's 100% right. Um, (laughs) uh, We should have either made fun of both or liked both. There's no in between. I guess we only like it if you get called a coward, if you have like a million Venetian blind shadows across your face. I want to read one more long one. This is from another friend of ours, Will. Uh, Where is it? This is from Brian Stratton. He's one of the hosts of um, Marvel by the Month. Okay. 
This is about Karen Page. So he, it's a long one, so I'm going to skip part of it. But he basically emails in about like, yes, you're right. Karen Page was mistreated in this book. But after reading the run of Daredevil issues from the late 60s to 1970 for his podcast, Marvel by the Month, a very fun podcast where they right. cover a month of Marvel comics every episode. Uh, I think it might almost kind of work. Hear me out. Okay. Uh, I didn't know any of this stuff, so it's really fascinating. Daredevil makes a new enemy, Star Saxon, in Daredevil number 49. Saxon figures out that DD is Matt Murdock, so Murdock fakes his death in issue 54 without telling Karen Page, who he's dating at the time, <laughs> so that he can hunt down and defeat Saxon without jeopardizing his secret identity. After defeating Saxon, DD travels to Karen's hometown in Vermont, where she's gone to mourn Matt's passing. Her father wow. vanishes at the same time as presumed kidnapped. Karen is abducted by a headless horseman-like villain called Death's Head, who turns out to be her father having a mental crisis. <laughs> Daredevil fails to save him from plunging into a vat of molten cobalt, which kills him in front of his daughter. Immediately after her father's funeral service, Daredevil approaches Karen in the cemetery and reveals his secret identity and the fact that Matt Murdock is alive. And he asks Karen, Karen to marry him. She accepts under the condition that he stops daredeviling around. Matt accepts the condition and then immediately continues to be daredevil for another half dozen issues. <laughs> Over the course of these issues, Karen breaks off the engagement. Matt doesn't change his behavior at all. He just keeps asking her to marry him and figures he'll eventually wear her down. He's wrong. Karen quits Nelson and Murdoch and moves to L.A. Very intentionally not telling Matt where she's going or what she's going to do there. So Daredevil does what any superhero who's also a lawyer would do. He breaks into her apartment and searches the place until he finds the impression of a note on a notepad and runs his super sensitive fingers across it to learn that she's gone to L.A. Matt flies to L.A. and Daredevil's around for a while, calling Karen's friends who she's staying with, who's under instruction from Karen not to tell him where she is. Daredevil heads to her friend's apartment, ransacks it, finds out that Karen is acting on a TV show. He heads over to the studio and stalks her for a while until she's stalked by another stalker who Daredevil beats up. The next day at the studio, Karen's stalker turns up dead. Daredevil vows to get to the bottom of it. Turns out that the person who's responsible just so happens to be a handsome dude who's, who Karen is developing feelings for. Uh, cut to the chase, he winds up drowning in a tar pit by the end of the issue. Problem <laughs> solved. <laughs> uh, Foggy calls Matt and asks and says he needs him back in New York. Matt tries to convince Karen to join him, but he refused, but she refuses. So he leaves in a huff. And that's the end of their relationship. With all that as context, it's totally understandable that Karen would be traumatized by everything that Matt put her through over the course of a year and a half. And isn't a huge leap of logic that she might turn to self-medicating. And right. as she falls further and further down the spiral of addiction, why would she be so precious about the secret identity of your abusive ex-lover who helped to start her down this path? It's a theory that's, anyway. I'll await my no prize. Uh, I'm willing to give this guy a no prize. I think that's a pretty good justification of Karen's behavior. That is a 100% a real no prize. It, it, it takes a thing that we say seems ridiculous and out of, uh, and out of left field and gives it context rooted from the comics. Uh, uh, Matt he, Murdock's a lawyer, but I think I think this gentleman, what's his name again? Brian Sorry. Stratton. Brian Stratton, you're you're a better lawyer than Matt Murdock. When I, I hope you don't lose your license to practice comics law. When I read this email, I mean, obviously, comics back then were just nuts in general. But reading sure. that stretch, just sort of explained in a few paragraphs, makes Daredevil seem like the craziest character <laughs> I've ever heard of. <laughs> um, just even the first bit where he's like, he fakes his death. <laughs> doesn't tell his girlfriend to go hunting after a supervillain 
is already just like, oh, I mean, it's such a comic booky thing, but it is like a crazy thing to do. And yes. it just gets crazier from there. Um, yeah. I don't know. If if she says no, folks, don't break into her apartment and hound her friends. <laughs> uh, thanks for all the emails, everybody. We've got a ton more to read. We'll be back next week to answer some of those. But if you want to email us, maybe we'll get to them. You can email us at screwitcomics at Gmail. We also have a Twitter account, screwitcomics, and an Instagram account, screwitcomics. Check out that Instagram account, people. You know, a lot of podcasts, they harass you to join their Patreon. They're asking you for money. We're saying just follow us for free on Instagram. Yeah, until we start our Patreon, in which case we'll demand that you join it. We'll demand that you join it, yeah. The lowest tier will be $1,000 a month. We're going big. Yeah. What do they get for that $1,000 a month, Kev? Uh, They'll get to hear our podcast. (laughs) <laughs> Don't wanna, we're going to go completely private. We'll do one free episode a year. Every other episode will be behind our Patreon wall, $1,000 a month. And I think every single one of our listeners will follow that. Follow us to the Patreon side. I mean, if that works, I can't wait. Um, <laughs> but in the meantime, you can email us. And, right, yeah, uh, right now it's still free. Podcast for free. So screw it, comics at Gmail. Let us know what you think about anything we said. Um, Kevin, great job today. Hey, well, uh, you did pretty good, except for that whole Wolverine Nightcrawler yeah, stuff. I don't know what was happening. I'm crazy. <laughs> I mean, it was insane. It was... Uh, uh, even after you corrected me twice, I yeah. still almost did it again. My brain just was set on that for some reason. A mistake on the on the verge of our Emma Watson, Emma... Um, uh, it, was, it was Emma Frost, Emma Stone. Emma Stone. Emma, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Not Emma Watson. I brought in the third Emma. You ruined it. <laughs> oh, no. You can't handle Emma's, but that's better than me not being able to handle one of the most popular characters in superhero history. Yeah. That, have, they, that don't have names in common at all. Yeah. I'm dumb. Uh, anyway, no about it. Um, see you all next episode. I'll talk to you next week, Will. Bye-bye. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just Comics. I'm Brian Husky. I'm bald. And I'm Charlie Sanders, and I'm also bald. And we host Bald Talk on the Campfire Media Network. Bald Talk is the podcast where two bald comedians talk to anyone bald about being bald. But this show isn't just for baldies, Brian. Harrow's will love it, too. Bald Talk gets into vulnerability, vanity, insecurity, and self-acceptance, reminding us that we all have our respective bald spots. Not that bald spots are a bad thing. No way. I mean, my entire head is one big bald spot. It is one huge, beautiful bald spot, Charlie. Get Bald Talk on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, I I have like a little bit of hair, but not like you. Like you're really bald. I'm truly bald. Great. I mean, it's I'm great. balder I than it. you. You are balder than me. Only on Bald Talk. Campfire.